We've got a new episode of Swings and Mishes coming up for almost 50 years. All year cooling has been the place that keeps all of South Florida cool. Listen, it is April, and then you know, living here in South Florida, summer is coming, and you do not want to wait to have your system checked. You do not want to wait to replace your unit. You know how this goes. It gets very hot here, basically from the end of April into May and all the way through the summer into the fall. To give you an idea, 10 years ago, I called Tommy Smith at all year. He is the owner. He's been the owner, he and his family, for decades and I purchased a new unit from them and here we are 10 years later I've had absolutely zero issues and they have the best customer service of any air conditioning company I've ever used in fact I think I may have called Tommy twice personally in 10 years I needed some help and within the hour they're at my house they show up very professional they do a great job and then I'm good to go for months and months and years. They're incredible. In fact, if you schedule a new unit installed before the afternoon, they will come and put a new unit in your house in the same day. No one in South Florida can guarantee that. They offer up to 60-month financing. And remember, I personally use all-year cooling. And Tommy has been a personal friend of mine for over 10 years. You call him, you let him know you want a cool unit in your house this summer. Don't wait till June till it breaks down. You have to do it now. Call 866-381-3554. Or while you're listening to this podcast, take your phone out. Go to their website, allyearcooling.com. Click on the Call Now button. You'll get connected directly to them. And by the way, my friend, the owner, Tommy Smith, you can text him directly from your phone from the website right now, and he'll set you up. All Year Cooling is my personal place to go. They keep my home cool. They keep my family cool for more than a decade. The number again, 866 381 3554. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined by, as always, the one and only Craig Mish, uh, the man who changed his Twitter profile picture to Tiger Woods ever so briefly, but is now back to normal. Uh, how are you doing this morning, Craig? I'm doing well. Yeah, I did during that Brave series. That was a lot of fun. And by the way, you just heard. Our, our little shout out there, our sponsor to All Year Cooling, who I, I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun when we do our player of the game and have our All Year Cooling player of the game here on Swings and Mishes after they win. And we've only seen one win. So come <laughs> on here. So like, there's nothing we can do here. There's certainly no player of the game on Tuesday night. That's for sure. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of been since we last talked uh, an, an uphill battle at the very least, Jeremy, for the Marlins. Sometimes you can come on these kind of podcasts and do radio shows in general. And I've always been told in media, you can hunt the positive and hunt the negative. And certainly there's always a silver lining somewhere, but I got to be honest with you right now, the, on the major league side, there are very few silver linings with this Marlins team right now. Yeah. And we can get right in that, into that, to be honest, shout out Rosel Herrera for being our one player of the game. Uh, Last night, the Marlins lost 14 to nothing to what had been the worst team in Major League Baseball in the Cincinnati Reds. And Jose Urania was not great off the top, but really the biggest issue of the night was Wei Yin Chen. He gave up back to back to back homers. It ended up being four homers over two innings pitched 
10 earned runs. He's now up to a 24.75 ERA. What do the Marlins do with Chen, Craig? Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult scenario and a different situation to figure out. I also do want to say this. It, within that game last night, it was missed. And look, there is no question that Chen was obliterated. He gave up four home runs and back-to-back-to-backs. But also within that inning that people may not be paying attention to. And over the course of a two-inning period, JT Riddle fielded a ball and threw it so far over the first baseman, said he had just no business throwing it. He wasn't charged with an error. Uh, Peter O'Brien had a ball go under his glove and go into right field. O'Brien had made a nice play earlier in the game, I will say that, but that's two. Alfaro had a ball hit his glove and slip by, and, and, and that's happened a couple times, I feel like, and, and runners advanced. And I would just say that, in general, that's, that's a disappointment. Not, you know, not mm-hmm. the score, not the Chen uh, you know, blow-up, but just sloppiness. And, and you just can't have that on that kind of team. And that really wasn't addressed all that much on Tuesday night. But that, to me, bothers me more than anything. Like, last year, I, I think a good example of that was there was a point in the season where there was a base hit to center field, and Magnera Sierra was slow to pick it up. And yep. the runner just got to second base. And then, you know, Donnie went off kind of a little bit after the game and said that couldn't happen. I was a little surprised to not see that same kind of fire from Don Manningly. And, and to be honest, I, I've been a little bit surprised that, you know, that it's kind of gone this way. I did not think the team would be good. I did think the team would struggle offensively, but not to this degree. They, I think they've gone 34 innings against starting pitchers and have only scored a total of four earned runs. They were shut out by DeGrom. They were shut out by Castillo. They were shut out by Kevin Gossman. That's three starters of no earned runs. You have no runs at all from your hitters. And you're, I don't care how many times they're going to come back in games against, oh, they're so scrappy. They're, yeah, <laughs> against bad pitchers that are in bullpens. Right. The, the bullpen pitchers in general in Major League Baseball, there's this notion that they're all great pitchers. To play in the Major Leagues, you have to be one of the best in the world. And I'm not taking anything away from that. But also understand this, when bullpen arms and kids are growing up, whether it's in South Florida or anywhere else, do you think that they grow up and they're playing Little League <laughs> and they're playing high school and they say, oh, I can't wait to be a seventh inning guy in Major League Baseball? No, it's because they weren't good enough to be a starting pitcher and then they go into the bullpen. That doesn't take anything away from them. It is a, to play in the Major Leagues is the hardest thing to do in professional sports, but let's also call it how it is. While the Marlins have come back in some games, it's been after the starters have come out. Right. And after the elite pitchers have come out, they've been able to, to manufacture and score some runs against these guys. So all in all, I would say that it just – to do these sort of radio shows and podcasts, you never want to come out guns blazing. But after you lose 14 to nothing like that, those are the kind of things that get people fired. Those are the kind of mm-hmm. things that, that get – changes made and I'm not saying that anything should happen here it's April the 10th as we're recording this but a month from now if this trend continues and by the way continues of going backward from last year then I certainly think that at the very least we'll be having a different conversation well and like you just said the real problem is has seemed to be the offense in the majority of these games obviously and and that's something that we knew going in 
but it's maybe even been more of a concern, I think, than we really anticipated early on. I mean, remember, they did split two and two in that first series against the Rockies. Things felt pretty good. Those were a bunch of close games for the most part. And since then, the team is one and four. They're now three and eight on the year. What are the concerns with the offense? You know, where do the Marlins go from here if if they're just not going to produce offensively? Like you said, I mean, they cannot hit starting pitching at the moment. Yeah, the the approach is shocking. I did not think that this would be the way that they would attack this season. And a good example of, of something that, by the way, may not work at all is what Kansas City is doing. Kansas City has Billy Hamilton. Oh, my God. They have uh, Merrifield. They have Mondesi. They have a bunch of, of players who are going to get hits and try and steal bases. I don't know if their plan is going to work either, but it's a more sound plan than what I'm seeing with the Marlins right now, which is basically, and I said it on Twitter, is hacking and hoping mm-hmm. every player out there. I mean, I'm seeing 2-0 counts. There's no taking – I understand that's a hitter's count, but there are just very few players on this team that are taking pitches and working themselves into hitter's counts at all. Right. I understand that you go against Jacob DeGrom, that's a completely different story. I mean, I, I get that. But we, we can't be a month into the season and have Lewis Brinson, Jorge Alfaro, and JT Riddle combined with no walks. None. Yeah. Zero. The whole year. The whole, the whole season. I mean, it's, it's been a short sample. It's, oh, we're not even, uh, you know, 15 games in. But when Alfaro comes up, He's got to have somebody on. He may hit 20, 25 home runs. And Granderson, he's been the Marlins' best hitter. He's walking. He's getting all kinds of hits. He's getting on base. His approach is great. Martin Prado's actually been good. He's hitting the ball as well. Mickey Rojas has been fine. But they need some players on. And this is not going to be a team, especially, Jeremy, at Marlins Park, that's going to see a ton of home runs. It's not going to happen. So why is this the plan? right now is to try and hit as many home runs I guess that's it I'm just not sure and uh, and the other thing that I do want to mention here and this is kind of the underlying point that I'm not worried at all about uh, Brian Anderson's start but I do have to say it would be a very poor turn of events if this kid went backwards from a year ago oh, yeah. and we're still very early and I think that probably by the time we do this podcast next week he'll be hitting 240 or 250 but as we sit here and record, uh, Buck 43 average, 217 on base, 167 slugging, 13 strikeouts, 42 at bats, no home runs, one run driven in, 13 strikeouts. Th- that's the thing that I circle, not because it's him, and I think he'll be fine, but the kids need to develop and develop positively. If they're going to start going backwards on some of these kids, then some significant changes will need to be made. But Look, it is kind of an overreaction Wednesday, probably to a 14 to nothing game. And I'm sure these things will kind of get themselves sorted out, but they just got rocked 14 to nothing by the Reds, who didn't have Puig in their game last night because he was suspended. So uh, hopefully this thing gets turned around quickly because I did not expect a great year. I also did not expect this offense to be completely inept. And then that is. And I, they're hitting the ball hard. Fantastic. Okay, great. So you hit the ball on the ground hard. Great. When, when you strike out and then you hit the ball hard a couple times. Look, some numbers are going to be a little bit deceiving. And hard hit rate does determine some things. But they have just been focusing way too much on that and just talking about, oh, they're hitting it hard. We're hitting it hard. Great. You're not winning any games. You're not scoring any right. runs. But you hit the ball hard when you do make contact. So uh, congratulations on that one. I'm tired of hearing about it. I don't want to hear it anymore. 
Well, it's funny that you mention the approach and trying to hit home runs. The Marlins are not a home run hitting team. And so it actually reminds me of uh, starting last year and now continuing into this year, the Miami Heat have been trying to be a three-point shooting team. The problem is that their roster was not built to shoot threes. So they're dead last, even with the uptick in the attempts to shoot threes. And it's kind of similar. The Marlins are not really a roster built to hit home runs. Why would the approach be hit a bunch of home runs. I, it just doesn't seem to really compute, and obviously it's affecting their bottom line. I mean, I, I believe they only have, and I have a list here, I believe they only have one, two, three, four. They have six players hitting above 200 in their lineup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's no, not... And, and there are some... And the Reds, if you look at the Reds lineup, it's similar. They have a lot of players also who are struggling out of the gate, and the Rockies do too, and the Rockies are supposed to be a great hitting team and they've had some issues and it's still early in the season and these things could kind of work themselves out. But I just don't know. I'm concerned that the approach is to just kind of run this way out there every day, because that's just not what I expected going into the season. I also didn't think they had anybody that was going to steal 40, 50 bases too. I didn't think that would happen, but I thought in this kind of scenario, it's a manufacturer runs as best you can type team. Hit and runs, stealing. I'm, I'm not going to go as far as bunting because that's, that's not what I would suggest. But the idea that the only way that we're going to be able to get this done is to drive balls into the gap and score home runs. Yeah, if you have Judge and you have Stanton and Luke right. Voigt and J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts and Ben Attendee, but those, those players are not on this team. So they have to find other ways and they have to make contact. And they have to they have to walk. They have to be able to get on base. This is not going to work over the course of the year, or they will be historically bad in terms of offense. I believe now, after last night, they may be uh, 30th in all of Major League Baseball in getting on base and walks per game. They were 29th going into last night. I, they could be 30th or the 29th, but that's irrelevant. The, the point is, is that if you watch the games and you watch the games closely, there are batters that there are 2-0 and o counts. I'm seeing it a lot. And they are not taking the third pitch. Exactly. And they're always looking for the hitter's count. And you know what? When you're down 4 nothing, what, yeah, what is you, you need other guys to get on base so you can score runs. you got to put guys on. And, and if you don't, you end up killing it. And I'm just I'm, – I'm hopeful that changes. But, yeah, it, definitely not the start that I expected. I picked them to, to win 66 games. I think their pitching still will keep them in virtually every game this year. I'll put their NL staff up against just about anybody in baseball. They have been great, as good, or better than I expected outside of Arania. But I will say that there is no chance of them winning 66 games with this approach on offense, none. As we talk about Jose Arania, we talk about the rest of the Marlins staff. Maybe we should be talking about reinforcements there in some ways. I mean, Jose Arania has not gotten off to a great start. He's 0-3. He's got close to a 10 ERA. It's 9.22. He's really been the lone Marlin starter where, where we talk about, you know, the, the young guys, as, as Fish Stripes called them, the baby-faced aces. Uh, they've all been great. Urania has not really gotten off to the start that we would have hoped after last year's second half. So do you think that the Marlins could maybe call up Zach Gallen? and see if he can give them some innings as a starter instead of Urania or, you know, obviously Chen's been awful out of the pen and that's, that's kind of a separate conversation, but yeah. Zach Gallon's first outing, he, he went seven, no hit innings. I mean, it, could you see Zach Gallon maybe coming up for this staff? 
maybe at some point this season, he looks fantastic. And last week got out arguably the best minor league lineup in baseball and struck out 11 through seven no-hit innings. Right. So he, he definitely, I would, I would circle his name as a possibility for June or July, but then they would have to find a trade partner for Urania. And you wouldn't do that now, Jeremy, only because you know where the season is headed with the Marlins. So let's, let's say hypothetically the team doesn't make the postseason, which I think most people would expect. You got to build Urania's value back to where it was at the end of last year or get it close. So they got to roll him out every fifth day and hope for the best. He hasn't looked great so far. I'm not especially discouraged because I kind of know who he is. He's going to have five bad starts. He's going to have five good starts. And I think that he'll be fine. He'll eat the innings. And that's kind of what they need from him. But in terms of trade value and then throwing a gallon in there, that is a possibility. They're going to need some other starters at some point this season because they're not going to let these kids all throw 180 innings. Not going to happen. So I I could definitely see a possibility of gallon or even Nidert at some point coming up this year. So that definitely is positive and it's exciting. Uh, and then back again, unfortunately, to another negative with Chen. There's just really no answer for Chen. I, I don't know what their plan was going into the season. He only had thrown two innings going into that game last night on Tuesday night. I, what, I, what did they expect to see? Like he, he, right. he he's going to pitch once every two weeks and, and get, get pummeled. That's, that's not a good game plan. And that goes back to the coaching staff and it goes back to the organization. If you're going to do that to Chen and you're going to put him in the bullpen, you have to have a plan, man. And that, th- there's no way that plan that they had for him has been executed the way that they wanted to going into. There's no, they could, you could not have told me, hey, before the season, hey, Donnie, what's the plan with Chen? Okay, here's what we're going to do. Through the first 10 games, we're going to throw him a total of two innings. We're going to warm him up four times. Then we're going to bring him in in a game. He's going to give up 10 runs. Right. That, that's, that's more than just executing a plan for him. They have to figure out what they're going to do. And, and more often than not, they got to keep him a little bit fresh and bring him in games. In terms of trade, there's no trade value. He's not getting traded. The only thing that's going to ever happen with him is they're going to come to a point of frustration like they did with Tazawa and end up DFAing him, whether it's this year, whether it's at the offseason, I don't know. But he's not going anywhere. There was a left-handed pitcher on the free agent market named Dallas Keuchel who can't get a gig, who <laughs> probably would take right. Chen's contract right now to pitch with a big would. league team. Somebody would sign him. Gio Gonzalez couldn't even sniff a contract. They basically went to the Yankees for free right now. He's on a minor league deal. And yeah, he'll make $3 million if he's in the big leagues and potentially up to five or six or something like that. There's, there's no value in Chen. There just isn't. And sometimes you just got to call things a failure. And that, that's what that signing was. There's just no mistake about it. My hope is for the Marlins at some point, they can figure out a game plan with him and get him in the right position. But there is no question that the, the plan that they have executed could not have been the plan going into the season. And in fact, they were down in another game this year that I think that we thought that they would bring him in. I can't recall which game it was, whether it was the Mets or Rockies, and they did not. This is the kind of deal where if you want to try and build some value for Chen and you want to use him, you have to force yourself into using him in situations that you may not. And it may not be pretty and the fans may not like it. But just having him as basically treated like a Rule 5 guy, like a Brett Graves coming into the end of games to get bombed, that's not the way that you do this. So hopefully they'll get that figured out. My guess is he will be better than we saw on Tuesday night because he certainly can't be any worse. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Donnie did, did say it eloquently after the game. It's not entirely his fault. Like, he doesn't know when he's coming in the game and, and he's not used to this. But four home runs in, in 
two innings. It's just, it's, it's unthinkable. And by the way, statistically speaking, in terms of a relief appearance, it was the, I, I think it was the worst all time for, for any uh, relief appearance for a member of the Marlins for, for uh, home runs and, and 10 earned runs. So, uh, only can go up from here, that's for sure. Yeah, and there's no excuses to be made, but uh, pitchers are creatures of habit. And talk about habit being completely changed for a guy who goes from being a starter every fifth day to now warming up seemingly every day to only come in a couple of times. It, it has been switched around, but like you said, it can only go up from here as it has been just about as bad as you could imagine thus far. But but let's move actually back over to the offensive side of the ball briefly and talk about maybe some of the guys that could be reinforcements later down the line. Victor Victor Mesa specifically has gotten off to a pretty hot start in the minors. You know, the offense is struggling. You think there's a shot we could see Victor Victor Mesa this year? Yeah, single A is not going to happen. But But again, very encouraging to see him getting on base and stealing bases. I get that question a lot on Twitter. And I don't think it's from a point of being uneducated what it is is a lot of fans what they do is they go online to the prospects sites yep and they see that that victor victor is their number one guy or their number two guy and just you know assume that because that is the case that he's got a chance to play in the big leagues and i think it's probably more for fantasy people are asking me if there's a chance of that but there isn't he needs a full year in the minor leagues but in terms of what he's done thus far in jupiter in the very short period of time that he's had a chance to get back healthy and get on the field, you have to be super encouraged with him stealing bases, getting hits. And, and you really want him to deliver on kind of the promise that the Marlins made to spend money internationally. So a lot of positive things are definitely going on in the, in the minor league system. And he's definitely one of them. So definitely we can start off by, if you had to give anybody an a plus on the swings and missions podcast, Victor Victor would be at the top. He's played great so far in Jupiter. Well, and considering how much we talked about him at the very beginning of the uh, formation of this podcast, I'm happy to hear that that's the case now. And another guy in the minors that has yet to make his debut, it's Monte Harrison. Um, you had tweeted out that, that Harrison had, had struggled a little bit with an injury. So where should we be at in terms of Monte Harrison right now? Yeah, another kind of strange and interesting situation with the Marlins. You, you know, you hear things and everyone who listens to this podcast knows that I hear different things about what's happening in the Marlins organization. And so with this one, I had heard a story that I was unable to confirm, which basically I'm certain at this point that Harrison was hurt in some sort of practice, but I'm not sure exactly how it was not in a game from what I understand, but for what I had heard, I could not get confirmed. So there's no point of really, going into more detail on that but let's just say this he hasn't played in his uh, first few games and there is no concern whatsoever from what I understand with the Marlins and so I absolutely am going to take the word of the organization and make the assumption that we'll see him back in the baby cakes big league lineup very soon is it disappointing that he missed the first series sure is it a huge deal no if he's 100% healthy when he's back and they are exercising caution and I have no concerns whatsoever. I still would like to see Monte Harrison play with the Marlins, big league team this year, whenever yes. that is. I don't think it needs to be in May or June or maybe even July, but at some point when they do trade Granderson and Walker and some of these other uh, chips that they have to potential contenders, I would hope on August 1st we would see Monte Harrison or at the very latest see him in September so he can kind of get his feet wet. 
my guess would be he's the opening day right fielder, center fielder, left fielder, whatever they choose to do. He'll have to earn a job next year in spring training, but I would love to see him and see what he can do in big league games this year because I feel like he is now a critical piece of that trade that they made for Christian Yelich. So hopefully he gets healthy and gets on the field. I've been told there's no concern whatsoever, and obviously I'm going to trust what I'm being told directly. So we'll leave it at that. Well, we look forward to seeing him just so that we can say the name Baby Cakes. Uh, And lastly for the Marlins, uh, uh, on this end of things, back to the major league level, you know, they're going to finish out their series with the Reds, and then they come back home this weekend, and JT Romuto comes to town. Uh, along with the Phillies, who are 7-3. and three. They're playing great, great baseball. You know, as JT comes back, you know, we won't say home, but comes back to where it all started. And, you know, we know how this offseason went. What are your thoughts on, on JT's first appearance here in Miami, you know, so early in the season? Yeah, one of my favorite Marlins of all time, JT. Everyone knows that by now about me for sure. So I'm certainly excited I haven't seen him in person since the end of last year, I believe. So I'm excited definitely to see him. He'll, he'll in all likelihood, do that initial interview where he talks about being, you know, leaving South Florida, going to the Phillies. The Phillies are a great team. They may not have all the pitching. They may be trying to piece some of these things together. But this is going to be a tough task this weekend. And, and I'm excited to see the, the Marlins young pitchers go against this kind of talent with Philadelphia. That's not to say that Cincinnati doesn't have the offensive talent. Cincinnati has just struggled out of the gate for whatever reason, but they do have Puig and they do have Suarez and they do have Peraza. And it's, Cincinnati's got a very, very good lineup. It's just, they started off cold until they ran into Chen last night. And we'll see if that carries over. Unlocks but, everything. <laughs> but, but the Phillies, have the mo- one of the most dynamic lineups in all of baseball. And I'll certainly be at the games at least Friday, maybe another one too, maybe Sunday as well. Mm-hmm. But this is a great test for their pitching. And it's always fun to see when the old guys come back. I mean, Stanton came back last year. That was fun. Yelich was as nice as could be when he came back uh, last year. And Ozuna is always a fun guy to talk to. So it'll be cool to see JT back. And then the games will start. And they'll play Philadelphia for a few, and then they'll play the struggling Cubs for a few after that. The Cubs come to town for the first time in years with a struggling ball club. He just placed Leicester on the injured list, too. So it's an uphill battle. They're going to be playing two teams for sure this weekend and next week that are better than them. But it's an opportunity, again, to see these young pitchers, who I'm so impressed with all of them. This is like going back to A.J. Burnett and Brad Penny and Josh Beckett. I don't know that they have a Beckett, per se, on, on this team, but I'm, I'm as excited about this pitching staff as I've been maybe in the 20 years or so that I've, I've covered this team. I think they are, they are fantastic, and I, and I hope they're able to pair some offense with that next year to make the games more exciting and better. But definitely that's the overwhelming positive is to see them challenge Harper and challenge Hoskins and JT and then the next week Anthony Rizzo, and I believe the Nationals even come in after that. So they, they really – have some talented teams coming in, and, and I love to see that kind of competition from the pitchers. Hopefully the games are competitive. Right. Those, those, that's absolutely entertaining. Like, to get to watch these young kids continue to try to thrive against some of the major league's best will be fun. And just to wrap things up, and it's a little bit – well, it's not Marlins-related, but it is South Florida-related. Dwayne Wade played his last game in Miami last night. Craig, I know you covered Wade for a long time here in this market. And, you know, I grew up with him as, as, as somewhat of a childhood hero. You know, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that my entire Twitter was dedicated to 
Dwayne Wade yesterday and, you know, just sharing stories from being a kid. But do you have any favorite Dwayne Wade stories from, from your time here in South Florida? Yeah, and, and I did work for uh, a number of different places here in South Florida when I covered Wade. So to kind of go through them here, mm-hmm. it, initially when I, I grew up in South Florida and I was a heat season ticket holder. And then, and when I came back to South Florida after the university of Florida and then working on the West coast of Florida and Sarasota, I worked at a radio station that was a startup station called 1700, the fan. And then from there I became a producer at CBS four in Miami. From there I hosted and executive produced a show called Mikasuki Sports Rap on Fox Sports Florida. I did that for 10 years in addition to working at WQAM and 790 the ticket. So I've basically worked at, at all of the places and covered Wade all throughout his younger days. And I would say over the last Jeremy four or five years, I had almost no interaction whatsoever and didn't cover the Heats because I had a second child and just kind of pivoted more over to baseball. That's just kind of the way that things worked out. Mm-hmm. But the early days and covering Wade's uh, all three championships, covered the ball, went to all three as, as a credentialed member of the media. The stories that I, I remember the most were really just when he started and when really the, there wasn't a ton of fanfare when he was drafted out of Marquette. And like a lot of the other young rookies that the Heat would draft, what they had tend to do in the past when they had those picks is they would kind of parade them around to the different uh, TV and radio stations before the season as promotion for the team. Because the Heat uh, were, were in a different kind of era at that time. Right. So the one memory, and I told this story the other day on Sirius XM, and it's kind of one of the ironic ones and favorite ones. I did mention this to, to uh, Dwayne, to Dwayne uh, a couple of years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. was when, when he was drafted in June, at the time I was, at, at that point in 2003, whatever it was, I was doing a, a television show, that show, Mikasuki Sports Rap. It was with Kimbo Camper and Joe Rose and Steve Goldstein. And Dwayne had come on our show a couple times too. He'd come on and sat in the studio and all. And, and as a rookie and as a player, he had made several appearances on that show. So that's how I kind of got to know him a little bit. But before all that, I was doing a fantasy football segment on CBS 4's television show, uh, Sports Zone. And we used to tape that show live from the Mikasuki in Miami, Saturday nights at 7.30. And so uh, one episode before, it was probably early in September, I'm going to say. And the producer of the show tells me, okay, you're going to go on, uh, go to the Mikasuki. The show's at 7.30. You'll go be on about 7.45. And we're going to bring in the Heat's rookie, Dwayne Wade. And he's going to also go on the show live, too, to preview the Heat season. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get a chance to meet this Dwayne Wade. You know, I mean, maybe he's good. I don't know. I, I, I know he got drafted high, but everything right. I'm hearing is about LeBron James and Darko Milicic and you know. Carmelo Anthony. You know, but maybe Wade's going to be good. Who knows? So we sit on the set. I'm sitting next to Dwayne Wade. And, uh, you know, and we're, we're just talking. I meet him for the first time, and we're just – you know, talking about things and all, and we're watching this college football game on channel four CBS affiliate and it's Tennessee versus Alabama. And the game is fantastic. And so what does that mean in the TV world? They're not cutting away from Alabama and Tennessee. It's not happening. So the producer comes over and says, Hey, we're running long here. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Craig, you'll right now tentatively, we'll do your fantasy segment 
at 7.45 now. we got to push it back. And then, Dwayne, we'll, we'll have you on right after that to preview the heat season. So we're like, okay. And then I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow, okay. Like I'm, so, so the game ends, and they come over, and they say, okay, Craig, you're going to do your fantasy segment at 7.45. Dwayne, we really appreciate you coming. We're just not going to have time for you to, to uh, come on the air. And so Dwayne Wade left. I did oh, my fantasy gosh. segment, and he was bumped off the show. And I did my fantasy football thing. <laughs> and so to this day, I always oh think back, gosh, like, had they, had they known then what they know now, would, oh. that wouldn't have happened in a million years. Oh, my God. Dwayne that, gets bumped for fantasy football. And he was totally cool. Incredible. That's and he was totally crazy. cool. And, 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 you know, and I was just like, sorry, man. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I didn't know. You know, I didn't think. And he's like, no, no big deal. You know, whatever. And he just left. And that was it. He had not played a single NBA game. He was just point. some kid. Oh yeah, he yeah. I, look. He was a high draft pick, but remember also high draft picks uh, now are a lot different than what they were yeah. then, sixteen years ago. And he wasn't the first overall pick either. Mm-hmm. And, I'm not taking anything away from his for what he accomplished in Marquette. He was fantastic. They went to the no, final but it was four. different. It was a different time. Yeah, and the and the show ran long because of an SEC game, and it was Jim Barry hosting the show, and I well, I went on. I did wow. the fantasy football. And Dwayne Wade did not, and he got bumped. And I'll, never, and I'll never forget that because when they won their first championship, I would always say, wow, like, <laughs> like they, well, he won the title and I, got, and I was on before him. <laughs> it was just you know, and only a few years apart, too. I mean, that's not like it was a, a drastic amount of time. That was 2003 to 2006. That's crazy. No. And, the, and, the, and my, my highlights, my all-time highlights, I said this last night on Twitter, there's no question that the championships they won with Shaq and then with LeBron and Bosch and, and those games, they were all great. And the intro for Shaq, by the way, oh. when, when he came to Miami, was among, at that time, the best things I've ever seen. But there is no question in my mind, without a doubt, that the – and I'll, I'll tell one more story here. Go for it. Was I'm working at 790 The Ticket at the time. And the program director at the time – is the afternoon host now on WQAM, Mark Hockman. He's the program director, and he was a great program director, by the way. So he, uh, they, they now they, ha- I'm working at 790. LeBron announces that he's, he's coming to Miami. I'm there at 790 at the time. I'm sitting in the studio. Mm. And we all have to be there at that, you know, for the decision. I don't remember how this went down. And so there's a panic when LeBron announces that he is coming to Miami because while they thought there was a chance of it, no one really knew for sure when he did the decision. So, yeah, so no one really knew what to do. So uh, all the hosts were on the air, and and Mark Hockman comes up to me and says, listen, we need two hosts from the arena in addition to the people who are going to be back in our studio, our radio studio. Are you willing to go and, and do a live broadcast when they introduce the big three? Oh, and I'm like thinking, I'm like, I don't know. Uh, all right. You know, like this, I guess so. It's fine. He's like, so here's what I'm going to do. Do you, do you think that Cliff Floyd would want to go with you to this? I'm like, uh, I'm like, all right, I don't know. Let me call him. So I call Cliff. Cliff's like, yeah, let's go. So I meet Cliff at the arena. We have a setup upstairs, and we broadcast live from that. And what I remember most is, first of all, I've never been to an event like that ever, and I've been to every single possible sporting event that anybody could have been to. I've been to all Super Bowls, 
Final Fours, championships, I've covered everything. Maybe I haven't covered the Masters, you know, but I've covered, right. in my lifetime, I've covered almost every big sporting event. Back when I was younger, I made it a point to do all these things because I knew that at one point I wouldn't be able to. So I was lucky to be able to knock those out. But it was so loud in there. I think we may have made it 10 or 15 minutes into the broadcast and we had to stop. There was just no broadcasting from right. there. It was as loud as anything. And I remember talking to Cliff about it the next day, not just about how great it was, but we couldn't hear for like a day. It was, it was, like a, it was louder than any concert. The, the human voice screaming that loud was, was nothing like I had ever heard. And so of all the things that I've covered in my life, I went to University of Florida and I covered Gator games there too. And, and went to games as a fan, and I went to the Miami Hurricanes games as a kid and went to the Orange Bowl with the Dolphins there too. Mm -hmm. But that is right at least up there, if not number one. It's tied or close to it with one of the most exciting things that I've, I've ever been to. And I was fortunate enough by just dumb luck of, be, of working at the station and them not really having anybody else to send that they sent me, of all people, and Cliff Floyd to cover the big three for 790 at that time. And that's, that was my other that's story. I got a lot of them story. like that, but those are the two. No, of course. I mean, it's amazing. And everyone's been sharing all of their stories. You know, for, for me, I, I just grew up with being a fan, right? So for me, I, I was eight years old when Dwayne Wade was drafted. I went to the Miami Heat basketball summer camp, and Dwayne Wade showed up as a rookie with all of us going, you're not LeBron James. And, right. you know, you're not Carmelo Anthony. We just knew it, it was the same deal. It was just some kid because the draft wasn't nearly as hyped back then in the no, same way. No. And he put on a dunk contest for all – like, it was a crazy – he was just some kid coming in and slamming all over the place for, for like, a half an hour. It, and it was just putting on a show for a bunch of little kids. And that's where it all started. Yeah. And, you know, for me, my junior and senior years of high school were the, t the two championships for the big three. So is there a better time to have sports fandom be so crazy? And when I was like 10 years older, I guess 11 years old was when they won the first championship. And now for me, actually, personally, in a weird way, the coolest thing is Dwayne Wade is a huge part of the reason that I became such a diehard sports fan because he's the reason we had so much success in this town. And you've seen all the articles as to since he was drafted, the amount of success across all the other sport professional sports teams. And so in my childhood, Dwayne Wade is, is Miami sports success. And so now because of that passion, I've gotten into this business, I've gotten into covering sports. And so working over at WSVN, I've been lucky enough to kind of experience now the day Dwayne Wade came back, I was the one cutting the highlights, you know, for, for our sports director, Steve Shapiro, and getting to be a part of telling that story. Uh, this past weekend, we had on 7 Sports Extra, we had a few different packages that we did sort of paying homage to Dwayne Wade's career. And I got to be the one that edited all of those, including one for me that was super cool because the Beatles are my favorite band. And we did a, a Heatles package to the Beatles music. And that was a blast. I was, I was in studio last night cutting the highlights in what was now his last home game. And so for me, what is now so early in my professional career covering sports, to have it all sort of come back around to the guy that really made me a well-rounded sports fan because I had just been a baseball fan as a young, young kid. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's been a pretty cool thing to see that all come full circle and really the way it's come full circle with this community. I mean, the way that he... I mentioned it yesterday on Twitter, the fact that he was traded back to Miami just days before 
uh, the Parkland tragedy and the way that he helped this community heal by literally going into the community and being a part of that. It's special. And, you know, you saw it in, in, in that uh, corporate Budweiser commercial, but it made you feel something. And Dwayne Wade was, like they said, bigger than basketball. So it's been pretty special to to hear all of these stories, to share all of these moments. And, you know, we just had to take a moment to do so here on, on, on Swings and Mishes. I know we're a baseball podcast, but I think anybody yeah, can relate to your favorite players, to, to the people that meant something to, to your town in, in athletics. Yeah. I um, think everybody has, a, everybody has a story, and whether you covered them as media or you were just a fan of it, and I hear it all the time, and, and a lot of kids – uh, they had the for- they were fortunate enough to go in that era of having LeBron James, Wade, and Bosch here and go through that right. big three era. I was fortunate enough to not only cover that, but to cover the previous. And I was fortunate enough to be a season ticket holder as a kid when the, when the Miami Heat started in 1988 and, and uh, 1989. And so I think just like Wade says, what makes me – what gets to me here a little bit is not just with covering the Marlins, but for those people who are people who have covered sports in South Florida is the fact that I think back and I'm like, my gosh, I've covered South Florida sports here for 20 some, maybe 25 years. Right. And it makes me think about all of those different things that I've covered and not just events with Dwayne Wade, but events with the Marlins events with the dolphins and events with the hurricanes and how fortunate. And if Dwayne Wade is going to be fortunate, and thanking fans about his NBA career when he gave so much to us, man, I better be fortunate about this position that I've been in mm-hmm. for the last 20, 25 years to be able to cover South Florida sports and get paid to do this. Um, so it kind of puts things in perspective also. I think he put it in there for everybody, but certainly I wish him the best. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful the Marlins will have one of those moments here with this new uh, regime to find a way to win a championship or find a way to, you know, get excited and have the fan base back because I think that you can see when you have that kind of special a player how the world gravitates to them and and my hope is that the Marlins have that coming up soon too. Yeah, it all makes you feel really nostalgic. But you know, we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, we will be back next week to talk all things Marlins uh, and maybe things across the MLB as the Marlins actually take on the Phillies in between. So it'll be an intro. I'm sure we'll have some stories to share. You shocked that I had those Wade stories too, right? <laughs> I was. Yeah. That actually I got really some really good stories there. You didn't think I had them, right? I didn't know what those were. I'm an old man over here, man. <laughs> I'm an old man. I've, I've covered it all. People forget that, that oh, among man. amongst all the people who have come and gone here in South Florida, yeah, I have been here. Table. Covering this thing with Kendall Gill on the heat. I was oh, there with Alfonso Ellis. I was there. I mean, I, uh, I have I have covered these teams and been around a long time. Now, now maybe I just do baseball a lot now more. I found my niche and that's fine. But I have I have seen it all. Here do not underestimate the myth of Craig Mish. <laughs> I have uh, been around. I love it. I love it. Well, well, thank you guys for listening. Um, you know what? And and if you want, feel free to share some of your favorite childhood sports memories with us as well, or your favorite Dwayne Wade memories specifically yeah. uh, on Twitter. Let, let we, us know about your memories of Chen growing up. And oh God, what he meant. Gonna end on a negative. No, but we'll uh, we'll be back next week. We'll have. Uh, with the Marlins back home, we'll we'll have an interview. Of, I'm sure of some kind, and 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 hopefully I'll, I'll do it after a win, so they're in a good mood. Absolutely, we'll talk next week.